It's good to see all of you out this morning. Yes, we have some snow, but that's God's way of sending us moisture. And if you look at it, it's also his way of fertilizing with nitrogen as he brings down the goodness of the earth. If you're a visitor here, thank you for being here. You are our honored guest. I hope that you'll find yourself comfortable. I hope you'll find the things that I have to say are from God's word because that's my desire to speak where the, the scriptures speak. As Monty announced, we, we've been doing series of lessons. And this particular series this month has to do with the organization of the congregation, the church. Brother Jimmy Hayes next week will, Lord willing, take up elders. Uh, the last week of the month we're going to talk about members of the congregation, the saints. And I've been picked to do the office of deacon. Now you might wonder why in the world did we go back to Exodus the, 19th, the 18th chapter and start there when we're talking about deacons in the church. Well, first of all, the Old Testament is a mirror of the new. The, the old law is a mirror of what we do today. What we do today is better than the old law as the scriptures tell us, but they are mirrors of each other. And I think it is interesting when we look at this account, and thanks, Van, for reading it. I appreciate that. If you look at the 13th verse, it says, And so it was on the next day that Moses said to judge the people, and the people stood before him, before Moses, from morning until evening. There must have been a huge line. And they had complaints, and they had wonderings. You know, there were hundreds of thousands of adult males, not including women and female, that were part of God's chosen people, and they were new at it. And, you know, they didn't have copies. They didn't go get a bunch of Xerox copies of the law. The only person who really had the law was Moses, and maybe in a little while some scribes wrote it down, but still you couldn't pass out very many copies. So they were coming to him all the time, wanting to know what the law says. And on top of that, if you've got hundreds of thousands of people, I guarantee you, you're going to have people that are upset with somebody else, that need somebody to decide what's right for them or someone else that's been wronged. And so Moses had this huge line. And it says, so when Moses' father-in-law, that's Jethro, saw all that he did for the people, he said, what is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit and all the people stand before you from morning until evening? You know who Jethro was? He was a Midianite. He was not a Jew. He was not of the chosen children of Israel. He had come to bring Moses' Moses' wife and their children. He had brought them to Moses because they weren't with Moses, evidently, when he was in Egypt with the Pharaoh. And he comes and he, he views this. He says, what in the world are you doing? He says, why do you do this every day? And Moses said, when they have difficulty, they come to me. I judge between one and another, and I make known the statutes of God and his laws. So Moses' father-in-law said unto him, these, The thing that what you do is not good. Both you and these people who are from you will surely wear yourselves out. For this thing is too much for you, and you're not able to perform it by yourself. He was telling Moses, Moses, you can't keep this up. You're going to be tired. They're going to wear you out, and the people are going to get frustrated. They're going to be wore out just because they're standing in line and waiting for, for some judgment. So he suggested that you select able men, 
that fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness. These are three of the, the attributes or the qualifications necessary. And place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of ten. So there was a practical need in the beginning for Moses to have people handle some of the job that he had to do. Have you ever thought about that? The, the law of Moses is very detailed. And they tell you exactly how to worship and how to sacrifice and how to do this and how to do that. But a Midianite came and told Moses, said, what you're doing is stupid. You need to fix it. And guess what? He obviously went to God to get approval, but this Midianite changed the way Moses was interacting with the people because it was necessary. There was a practical need. Well, in the office of deacon, as we're going to talk about this morning, there is a practical need for a deacon or it wouldn't be there. Again, this is not an office that was established until after the church was established. Moreover, next week, Lord willing, we will talk about elders, but for, for matter of fact, this is the same thing for elders. There was a practical need for an elder. This, the church was growing extremely fast. We know on the day of Pentecost where Peter stood up and preached to them, and with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received the word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. So the very first day there at Pentecost, there were 3,000 new converts. And it doesn't say who baptized who, but if you say it's the 12 that baptized, that's 250 a person. That's a lot. It's work. But on top of that, just a few days later, probably within the week, if you remember in Acts, the third chapter, Peter and John went up to the temple to pray, and they healed a paralytic man that was laying there asking for alms. Well, when he did that, the crowd gathered. And in the fourth chapter of Acts, the first verse says, Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came unto them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. If you're keeping up, that's over 400 for 12 people to baptize. So we're up to 8,000 people, and it's probably been less than a week, certainly a very short period of time. So there was a problem that was being, that they didn't really had addressed yet, because they're going to need help. Now, as long as the church was in Jerusalem, and as long as they were there, you had the 12 disciples, you had other followers of Christ, and they were there. But we know that as the word spread and the gospel spread, there was a practical need for something to go on because the apostles couldn't be everywhere at once. Certainly by the time that Paul came along and there was churches spread everywhere, there was no way that Paul could be everywhere. The apostles that were still alive could go to all these congregations. It was just impossible. So there was a practical need for officers in the church. Now in those days, when the number of disciples were multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the, the magnitude of disciples and said, It's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. 
Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, who we may appoint over this business. You're saying, we need help. We need someone to take care of this problem. You know, back when we was reading the Old Testament with Moses, there were people coming and complaining that this person didn't do right for me or that for you. Well, these widows were saying some of them were being administered and some of them were being neglected. And they said, we need to find some people that can handle this. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to minister the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Decatur, Timion, Permenus, and I'm messing them all up, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them, then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. We know of 8,000 people that were saved, but the, the, the church was growing exponentially. And this was just one example of things that the apostles decided that they need help in. Now, nowhere in this reading that we had is, is the word deacon used. But it's considered that this is the first appointment of people to do things other than spiritual things in the church or deacons. Strong's definition, diaconus, which means an attendant, like a waiter, to run errands, specifically a minister, a teacher, a servant. Diacona is the word that's used when they talk about the office of deacon. It literally means to give aid, to help and therefore the office thereof. So you see, there was a practical need for people to handle things in the early church. And it wasn't just, we'll talk here in a little bit, it wasn't just deacons, it's also elders. There was a practical need for them as well. The apostles couldn't be everywhere. They were also mortal men. They were going to pass away, and if Jesus had not, would have not come, and he did not, Someone needed to take on the role of the spiritual leader of the congregation. So we have elders. And we needed people to take care of the things that needed to keep a congregation going locally, deacons. In 1 Timothy, the third chapter, first of all, in the beginning of that chapter, we find the list of qualifications of an elder. And I'm not going to step on any on. Brother Hayes' toes, he gets to do that next week. But immediately thereafter, in that third chapter, in the eighth verse, it said, Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let though these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderous, temperate, faithful in all things, like deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great uh, boldness in the faith which is in Jesus Christ. The list here of the qualifications of, an, of a deacon, believe it or not, is almost the same qualifications as an elder. If you read in the beginning of that third chapter, for both of them are to be husband and one wife. They're control their children in their home. They need to be blameless. They're not supposed to be drinking lots of wine. They're not greedy for money. 
sober-minded or good behavior, the, the deacon has said, must be reverent, not double-tongued, be honest. Now, there's a list when you go back there and list that in the elders of hospitality, able to teach, gentle, a good reputation outside the church. So the list is a little longer for the elders, but let me tell you something. Is there anything there that excludes anyone else from doing that? Should I be hospitable? Sure. Should I be teach? Should I be gentle? Should I have a good reputation in the community? So it wasn't, those things weren't exclusive to elders, but they're listed there as part of the, of the needs of the elder. But that didn't mean they were the only ones that could do that. If you look at Stephen, who was one of those mentioned in the seven, he was full of the faith and power. He did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freemen, Caesarians, Alexandrians, and those of Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. What was Stephen doing? He was preaching. He was teaching. He wasn't just a deacon in the congregation that were helping the elders. No, I mean, help, helping the widows, get it right. No, he was also teaching. And of course we know Philip, who went down and preached and converted the eunuch, going the Ethiopian eunuch. But in the, in the eighth chapter there, in the fifth verse, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. He performed miracles. He spoke to the people. He was what we would call an evangelist because he went many places spreading the word. The twelfth verse says, But when they believed Philip as as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. So this man who was one of the seven that were to take care of the widows there in Jerusalem was spreading the word and teaching. By the time that the Apostle Paul started writing letters to the churches, some 30 years or so after the death of Christ, the office of deacon and elder were established and were noted and people recognized them. For here in Philippians, the first chapter, Paul starts the, the letter by saying, Paul and Timothy, bond service of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and the deacons, bishops being elders, grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. So writing to the Philippian brother, they knew and there were elders and deacons and they knew what they was talking about. So that by 30 years or so after the death of Christ, that was ingrained into the local congregations, these offices. I don't know whether you ever thought about it or not, but the, the church organization, which is we're talking about this month, is unique. It's not a worldly organization. It, those that serve in it have different responsibilities than you would see in a corporate organization. In Matthew, the 20th chapter, Jesus called his disciples to him. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who are great exercise authority over them. 
Yet it shall not be so among you, but whosoever desire to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whosoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Jesus called the disciples together and he said, you know, the Gentiles, the leaders there, they rule over the people. And they, they have authority over them. He says, I don't want you to be that way. He says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. Now the disciples were charged with starting the church. The, the church began under their offices and under them their guidance. But Jesus wanted to make sure that they understood that they were servants of those people. They were to serve them and to bring them to Christ and not lord over them or rule over them. Now this just says elders in 1 Peter 5, but I wanted to bring this out. The elders who are among you, I exhort. I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also partakers of the glory that will, that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of, of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over these entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Now, who's in charge of the flock? The shepherd. He tells them where they're going to go. He shows them how to get there. He takes care of them. But who is the servant of those sheep? The shepherd. Those sheep can't do anything for themselves. They really can't. I mean, my uncle raised sheep, and I don't want to disparage sheep, but they're dumb. And if you don't, you have to do everything to take care of them. And you have to serve them. You have to clean them. You have to keep them from being matted up. You have to find water for them. You have to find shade for them. You have to do all these things. So you're serving them, even though you're the shepherd. Here's a worldly view of a corporate organization. You have the saints, which are, we'll talk about hopefully in a couple of weeks, which has to do with the members of a local congregation. According to this worldly view, they report to the elders, and the deacons also report to the elders, and in, mo in many worldly, no, in many religious organizations, these elders at a local congregation report to another man or woman who is over numerous congregations, and those people may report to another person that's over all of those people, and so you have a corporate structure starting at the bottom with the members going all the way up in some sort of order to someone who rules or governs over them. That isn't what Jesus said. The saints are to be taken care of by the elders and are to be served by the deacons. The scriptures say the elders are overseers. They keep the wolves out, but they are to serve to protect the deacons are to do the things necessary that a congregation can continue. All of those little things that have to be done. They're not rulers. The leaders of congregations are not leaders, are not rulers or lords. They're servants. If you think about that, look what Jesus did reading there from John the 13th chapter. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things in his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, Jesus knew who he was. He knew he was the son of God. He knew he had come from heaven. He knew he had all power. But he rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. 
After that, he poured water in a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel in which he, he was girded. So when he got through washing their feet, taking his garments and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. You say, well, for so I am. Jesus definitely was teacher and Lord. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. He told his disciples, his apostles, that they need to, to serve each other and also to serve others. As we said, they were responsible for the beginning of the church and spreading of the church, but they were to do so as servants of those that believed. We've gone over the list of the things that deacons are supposed to have qualifications for and, and elders as well. But I want you, and the last couple of things I have to say this morning, I want you to think about yourself. All of us as Christians, all of us, should be striving to gain the attributes of an elder and a deacon. A mature Christian is one that is temperate. He's sober-minded. He's of good behavior. He's hospital. Not given to much wine. He's not violent but gentle. Not greedy of money. Not double-tongued. He's truthful. Not quarrelsome. Not covetous. Now, which one of these is not a mature Christian? All of us. All of us should be striving to do our best to gain these attributes and to be these people and serve each other. You know why? Romans 12 said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. You and I are to be servants to each other. It is our reasonable service to sacrifice ourselves for the Lord. So we need to be striving to come up with these attributes in our own life. And finally, back in Revelations, we find there where Jesus threw the angels to the seven churches, talked about each church individual. And one of those churches in Revelations, the second chapter, was in the angel of the church in Thyatira, right? Now, I'll tell you right now, Thyatira was a congregation that wasn't perfect. And there were things that Jesus had to say to them that he wasn't pleased about. But this is how it starts. These things say the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like fine brass. I know your works. Love, service, faith, and your patience. He said these people in Thyatira, they had these attributes. They served. They loved each other. They had patience one for another. And as for your works, he continues by saying this, the last are more than the first. That congregation didn't sit on its laurels. That congregation strove to be better, to have better works, to do more for each other, to be better servants. That's what we need to do as a congregation. I hope there's something in the lesson to help you think through the week. What a wonderful thing it is to be a servant of God and to serve each other. It is a custom that we offer a song of invitation. If there's, subject, if there's someone subject to the call, we ask you to come as we stand and sing a couple of verses of the song selected.